We're back. You're listening to The Human Resource. So how many of you have been trained on workers' comp? I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a serious question. How many of you actually have been trained on how to handle a workers' comp claim? The paperwork necessary for a workers' comp claim. I, I already know the answer. I, I already know the answer because it's, it, it just never ceases to amaze me that, that there's some aspects of human resources that we don't even think about training on. And, and this one, believe it or not, happens to be one of, of the biggest. And, and let's, let's go even further. You're the viewer and, or the listener to this podcast. How many of your supervisors or your team leads, your managers, People, again, as I call them, boots on the ground, how many of them have been actually trained or educated on the importance of getting accurate information when we're dealing with a work-related injury? It's, it's so interesting to me, and I guess it's become a little bit more important to me because so many of you are now working with remote workers and I cannot tell you how many organizations I have spoken to who didn't realize that if they are located here in Ohio, but have somebody in Idaho, they have to get workers' comp coverage for that individual, even though they're just one person. So this is a serious topic, and I really kind of want to walk through all the different elements involved with workers' comp. I'm not... I am not a major expert, but I have been around long enough to know that if I can plant these seeds of of thought in each of you, whether you're a business owner, whether you're the GM, the HR rep, the the office manager, if, if I can just plant these thoughts, you can start looking at what you're doing in your organization and you can start maybe putting together a, a, a better plan or if nothing else, bring this up as a topic in one of your next meetings. So let's start at the top. As I just mentioned, you know, Ohio, where we are located here in the ICRC studio, Ohio is self-insured. So the state of Ohio controls all of workers' comp. And there's only a few states that do that. Everyone else expects employers to have an insurance policy or a, a policy within that state to take care of work-related injuries. And work-related injuries are just that. Anything that should occur that would cause injury to an employee during the function of doing that job. And guess what? This is not an option. So just by saying, oh, well, I didn't know I had to cover my New New Jersey employee or I didn't realize that Illinois required workers' comp, it's not going to work, guys. And Ohio can decline that individual, even though they're being ran through Ohio payroll. They have the right to dispute that and say, excuse me, but we're not going to use our funds for somebody out of state. I'm not going to tell you which ones will do that, but here's the rule. If you have an out-of-state employee, a W-2 employee, you need to have workers' comp for them. And I would call your general liability insurance company and talk to them because most likely they have those programs. 
They just didn't know that you had employed somebody in New Jersey or Idaho or anywhere else. So start there. Then remember that each of those states have very specific requirements. I thought it was absolutely fascinating. I was going through uh, the workers' comp certificates, the verifications of coverage for, let's see, how many states? One of my clients has employees from um, Hawaii, I guess through New York, New Jersey. And so each of those states, we had to get policies for all Texas, Florida, Arizona, uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin, all those. But then as I was researching through, I realized, oh my gosh, Wisconsin has a period of time by which to report an injury different than Indiana. And Tennessee wants the reporting of an injury entirely different than Wyoming. And it's not the policy itself, or, or excuse me, it's not the carrier of your policies, it's the policy for that state that's offering the coverage that you have to be aware of. So not only is the timing different, but also the paperwork for the claim. Here in Ohio, we use what's called a first report of injury, FROI form. Doesn't matter what type of injury it is, that's the paper by which a medical provider will recognize and complete so that we can get a claim number. All the other states have the same type of procedure. And you have to be aware of what that is, or at least have a good relationship with your insurance company so that if something happens in Idaho or New Jersey, you can simply pick up the phone and say, okay, let's get it started. What do we need to do? One of the things that I think is a really, really good practice, and I want you to think hard about this because I have very, very seldom see these, but these were really, these were really popular 20, 25 years ago in businesses, but they're called injury packets. And they're just a larger envelope, but in there contains the reporting procedures, whether it's yours or the carrier's. It's the reporting form. So here in Ohio, we'd have the first report of injury, the FROI form in there. The packet might also even have an incident report. And and an incident report is really important because it's not specific to the person who got injured, but it's more specific to what the injury was. How did it happen? Where was it? Who witnessed it? What were the conditions when it happened? What was the time of day? And that's not something that would go to the medical provider, but that's a form that would stay with your company, something that you can work off of later. It's amazing what information you can get off of an incident report. And these are templates. These are not difficult forms to find. They're not hard to create. But they're very important if you want to have a a thorough injury packet. And then, of course, you've got to have your policy number in there. Because if somebody's dashing to a medical provider and they find out, the medical provider finds out that this is a work-related injury, they're going to ask, well, tell us, what's your employer's policy number? Now, if you don't have these packets, the only way your employees are going to know that right now is by the certification form, the certificate, 
that you're supposed to have posted with your labor law posters. The policy number should be on there. And it doesn't, it doesn't change from year to year. It just keeps rolling. But that's vital for getting a claim uh, started. So including it in the packet is just absolutely essential. And then I like to see, and again, this is stuff that I'm used to from 25 years ago or more, but uh, they used to put in a, a flyer in there about the closest and preferred medical facilities to go to. If you want, if, if you want everyone to go to an urgent care, give the directions, give the name of that facility. If you want them to go to an emergency room, here's our preferred emergency room. You know, some of my employers even have contracts with labs and different medical facilities. And of course, you want them to go there because it's already, they already have your policy number. They already know how to process a workers' comp claim for you. But it's really nice, especially if somebody's having, other than a ambulance or a medical uh, EMS type facility, rather than them know exactly where to go, if you have someone else driving this individual, a family member, or they're driving themselves, the closest facility or your preferred provider would be great, great information. And then I also like to see in this packet, who, do, who, who gets the paperwork? Who do um, the, the employees submit the incident report to? Who do they uh, notify of the work-related injury? Who, who do they report all that to? Because you don't necessarily want them to just assume that it goes to that team lead or that frontline supervisor. If you have an HR department, you have a safety uh, officer, you know, those are the individuals who are monitoring these activities. They're the ones who need to know what's going on and need to be able to follow up. So add that in the injury packet. I think that's, I think that's very, very important. So can you get these injury packets from maybe your TPAs, your third-party administrators? I would check. I would absolutely ask. If you're working with a, a managed or uh, managed care organization, MCO, I would definitely contact them and say, hey, this is what I'm looking for. Do you already have them put together? And many of them do for marketing purposes. They, they definitely want their name out there. I've got landscaping companies. I've got trucking companies. I've got um, HVAC companies. I've got companies that have vehicles. Those packets are in those vehicles. I don't want employees leaving the building with the risk of something happening and them not having that information. But also think about your, your after-hour shifts, your weekend shifts. If the production manager or the, the GM is holding all this information, how, what happens when they're not there? These packets are so nice. They can be stuck somewhere or filed somewhere where they can be accessed at any time. And there's nothing confidential about them. I mean, let's think about it. There's nothing confidential about anything that you would be putting in this packet. And yet they are so valuable when they're needed. And God forbid, we don't, we don't want accidents in the workplace, but when they happen, let's be prepared for it. So we've got all this information together. So what might happen then? Well, you've got to train your team to use those packets. You've got to prepare them to say, look, don't hesitate. And here's one of the, the, the things I really want you to think about, too. 
is if you're in a, a, a area where accidents are likely, have you had any accidents reported? If you're not, I would seriously suspect that you may have supervisors, team leads, floor managers who are brushing that stuff away. They're pushing that aside. And guys, that's, that is not at all what you want to find. Remember, OSHA requires the general duty clause of you have to provide a safe and secure workplace. If people are getting injured and you don't know anything about it, that's not a situation that any employer wants to be in. So train your team. Hey, if something happens, let's, let's deal with it. Let's figure out how it happened and how we can prevent it next time. Yes, it might bring you a little bit in terms of your workers' comp risk and your cost, but don't run from that stuff, guys. You have to, you have to face this, this kind of stuff and teach your team the importance of this kind of communication. It was interesting. Um, OSHA here a number of years ago took away the incentive programs for employers. Remember how we used to drive down the highway and we would see those big signs going, 20 days without injury, you know, 50 days without injury. And, and companies used to incentivize employees with parties and, and gifts and all these kind of bonuses if they went accident-free. And OSHA took that took it away and said, oh, no, 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 no. This has done nothing but elevate secrecy. And it has stifled individuals reporting injuries when they had the right to report them. Remember, workers' comp is there to take care of individuals when they actually go through a valid work-related injury. So no one has the right. I don't care who you are. Not even the owner of the company has the right to look at an employee and say, yeah, buck it up and go back to work. And yes, I know you're out there. I know there are employers out there like that, but stop. Stop now. Also learn to use that incident report. That's great information. That incident report should come back to the right person. Whether it's, again, it's the safety officer, the HR person, and you need to read it thoroughly. You need to accept the fact that maybe there's something that we need to change. Now, if it's something really blazing like somebody fell on grease out in the warehouse floor. Okay, that sometimes we can visually see, but what if it's somebody who hasn't been trained properly? What if it's somebody who got injured because they were using a piece of equipment that they had no clue how to use? What if it's somebody who simply shouldn't have been on a ladder or simply shouldn't have been in a hole that wasn't secured? Or maybe... It's something stupid, like five people riding a forklift through your, your facility. Um, I heard of a horrible, horrible, horrific forklift accident here very, very recently because somebody forgot to lower the forklift down. They had left it the, the forks up three or four feet off the ground. And I'll let you just think about that for a minute. These kind of situations have to be addressed, and addressing your workers' comp potential claims or, uh, you know, the claims that are actually coming in, right, that are actually happening every day, it's the best way to do it. So start by acknowledging that workers' comp is there, and it's there for a reason, and it's there to protect you and your employees, and then train them. Look, we only get better 
when we admit that we can get better. You've been listening to The Human Resource. My name's Pandy. Thanks for coming. Listen again.